Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. You gotta love a good awkward moment. Um, <laughs> I am, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not, I'm not socially awkward. Like I know how to conduct myself in public. Obviously that's kind of what I have to do every week. Um, but when I was in middle school, I wasn't the most socially awkward person and I wasn't the most physically awkward person, but I was up there on the scale because, you know, middle school, it's just the time of awkwardness. And if there's one moment in my life that I would never want to repeat, or one season of my life that I would never want to repeat, it's middle school. Can anybody that has ever been to middle school, or maybe it was junior high when you were there, can you just testify by saying amen that it's just an awkward time? Yeah, I mean, it's just middle school. Like, it's weird and, and awkward, and you're growing, and your arms and legs are longer than you really realize they are. And you're just kind of, it's that physically awkward time. And one of the most awkward moments of middle school for me personally was middle school gym class. Because, here, here's why, it wasn't like that because I had to go and change clothes. That wasn't it at all. Y'all need to like clean your minds up. Um, it was because in middle school gym class, you had to start picking teams. And we would, you know, you would go in and it's like kickball day today. Oh, mm. can we just like do some individual activities? Because for me personally, there's nothing more awkward than picking teams. Like even to this day, if I go to like the Y and I'm playing a pickup game of basketball, I do not want to be the captain. And during the entire pickup process, I will can be completely stressed out and full of anxiety because, because I, get, I get weirded out when we have to pick people. It's just, it stresses me. I think it's a, I think it's a universal human feeling that, that there is joy when you're chosen for the team and complete and utter embarrassment when you look around and you're one of the last ones standing on the wall and you're thinking i gotta be picked soon everybody gets to play right like gym teacher everybody's playing so i'm going to just complete paranoia and anxiety and it happens really all throughout your life you know you're thinking you know will i be the last one picked for kickball and then it becomes you know who will i invite to the prom and will she say yes or will i have to go alone and be excluded. Oh, and then it, you know, it even continues at college. Will I get invited, you know, to the right fraternity party? And maybe you're not a frat partying kind of person, but will I be invited to the right study group? Will I be, will you get a job? Will I get to be part of the special project team? Or will I get excluded? And for me, even, to, even today, if, if I have to pick things, or I'm one of the people being picked, I get completely, completely paranoid. Because even today, like in middle school, it was, it was, okay, if I get picked, and it didn't matter when I got picked, if I get picked in the first round for kickball, I've got to perform in such a way that proves I was worthy for a first round draft pick. And if I stink it up at kickball, then I'm going to be really embarrassed because they wasted a, a first rounder on me. 
So, oh, God. But then if I, if I drop in the draft, <laughs> metaphor, um, if I drop to like the eighth round, ninth round, well, now I've got to perform in such a way that proves I should have gotten picked earlier. So it doesn't matter when I get picked. You know what I'm saying? You, you feel me? I've got to prove something. I've got to prove why I should not have been excluded. Why I should be chosen. Can you relate to that? Like, like do you feel me on that? Maybe, maybe you're not stressed out about playing kickball, but, but maybe you're stressed out about a promotion at work that you think you deserve. And you're wondering why you got excluded. Why you didn't make the cut. Why you weren't good enough. Or maybe you go to the Y and, and there's some people and they play pickup basketball and you're, you stress out about being one of the last ones because you don't want to be excluded. Maybe you're trying to get a new job. And they're hiring five people and you want to be part of the five, but you're really nervous that you're not going to be good enough or maybe in your neighborhood you have an association and you have a, an association committee and you really want to be on it but you never seem to get picked we all have that anxiety of being cut off of being excluded because we weren't good enough i think it's a universal human feeling we all want to be part of the group and when we're not that stinks. You know, was it that different in Jesus' day? In Jesus' day, uh, the religious context of the day was that Israel was the chosen people of God. But what had happened in their, in their culture, in their cultural psyche, is that they took the chosen status and became arrogant and began separating people between in-group and out-group. If you're part of the, the, the nation of Israel, then God loves you and He's chosen you. But if you're not, if you're a Gentile, well, then you're not accepted. You're not welcomed. Much of what God established in the Old Testament that we might look at and call the law, and we look at it and say, well, it's all rules and it's all this, this stuff and, and rituals. But what God was doing is He was using the law to lead people to Himself. But but. Human beings took it and made it into rules of exclusion and hierarchy. Gentiles are not welcome in the, the community of worship for a Jewish culture. They're not welcome. They're considered, matter of fact, in the, old, in the New Testament, if you were non-Jew, you were considered a dog. You're a dog. You're just completely, completely worthless. You're a godless barbarian. If you are a woman, even if you are a woman and, and you are a Jewish woman, even though in, in their own text they are considered equal image bearers with men, they're second class citizens in Jewish culture. They're excluded. And it wasn't just the people out there. The Jewish culture of Jesus' day had a way of, of excluding people inside the culture. Inside, even if you were a Jew, you could still get cut off. You could still be cut off. And they used a word to do it. It was called unclean. You're unclean. Now, in the Old Testament, there were all these rules about cleanliness and uncleanliness, and, and it was a ritual. And, and the rules in the Old Testament, the law in the Old Testament, had to do 
with admittance into the, the temple. If you were unclean, you couldn't go into the temple. But it didn't have anything. It was about something you had done. You had touched something you shouldn't have touched, like a, a dead animal or a, a dead person or, or someone who had a disease. You had come in contact. So you weren't allowed to go into the temple. But that was it. And not only that, but God always provided a way through various rituals to get clean so that you could go into the temple. But what happens in the New Testament, by that time, it had, it had moved from an action that you had done, that you had committed, that made you unclean, to now it's just something you are. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't In the Old Testament, it was, well, you're unclean for right now. You've got to go through a season of, of purifying yourself. Then you'll get to go back into the temple. You're still welcomed in the community. You just can't go in the temple. But by Jesus' day, it was, you are in your identity unclean. You're unclean. They, as a matter of fact, they actually had a word for this. And I'm going to try my best to pronounce Hebrew words, and it's not going to be that great. But if you know Hebrew, then you can call me out on it. But if you don't, huh, you don't know if I'm saying it right or wrong. They had a phrase that they would use for these people. They called them Amha Aretz. Amha Aretz. And here's what it literally means. People of the land. Now, I don't know if you can put two and two together in the description of people of the land. But if you think of people of the land, I think of dirty people. I mean, that's the word that comes to my mind. These people were dirty. They were dirty. They were untouchable. They, were un they weren't just untouchable. They were unredeemable. They were not, they were so completely removed from the community, they, they had no hope. They had no chance. Yesterday, this is kind of a funny story. Yesterday, a few of us that are sitting here this morning, and you might see their shirts on, I've got mine underneath, we participated in an event called Running Dirty. And we got covered in mud from the top of our head to, to like our shoes, just completely caked. We were literally dirty people. And we got this t-shirt. I'm not like undressing, I actually have a shirt on. It's not that kind of church, y'all. We got this shirt, and it says, look at this, this is so cool. That's why I'm wearing it today. I thought it was appropriate. It says, running dirty, I embraced my dirty side. And I thought, you know, we're kicking off a series called The Dirty Jesus. I'm talking about dirty people. I'm Haaretz. I've got a shirt that says, I embraced my dirty side. I'm wearing it. A few of us have it on because we embraced our dirty side yesterday. Running dirty. But in Jesus' day, the dirty people, they were the, they were the blind, the, the handicapped, the, the lame, because their deformity was seen as God's judgment upon their life because either they or their parents had committed some sin. So God was judging them by, by giving them this, this affliction so they're unclean. In their identity, they're dirty. If you are poor, your poverty was seen as God's displeasure upon your life. His, he was judging you, so you're unclean. You're dirty. You are an Amha Aretz. And if you're clean, the best way to stay clean is to completely avoid the unclean. 
You didn't, you, you didn't go near them. Stay away from me. And the unclean label, the dirty label, the Amha Aretz label was incredibly difficult to shake because no one would come near you. You were completely removed. The, the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the teachers of the law, they had all these rules to exclude people and avoid contamination. You don't want to be contaminated. Like, don't touch me. You're dirty. If you touch me, then I'm clean and I'll be dirty. And then I'll, I'll be, you know, up the creek without a paddle. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to get clean. And there are all kinds of rules like, like you would never go into a Gentile's house. You would never go into a non-Jewish person's house because you might touch something and you might get unclean. You might get dirty. You would, you would never touch a person with a disease. You wouldn't touch them. You know, if they had a cold, you wouldn't touch them. If they had the flu, you wouldn't touch them. If they had some other serious disease, you would not physically touch them because you would be dirty. And you would never go into a sinner's house for meal. You would never eat. Because eating was a, was a very intimate and relational thing. And you wouldn't do that in a sinner's house because you would get dirty. And so into this setting, Jesus walks with this radical message that God's grace is for everybody right where they are no matter what. And here's the most famous passage. I don't, think, I don't think I've been preaching now, I think, for 16 years, oddly enough. I know I look young, but 16 years. I've never preached this. I've never preached from the verse that I'm about to read, and it's like the most famous verse in all the Bible. John 3, 16. It's like, really? That's what, that's what we got today. John 3, 16. Look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know this. You've seen it at football games, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know this verse, but I think we've overlooked one of the words. I think when we read it, you know, God loved, man, that's awesome. His son, oh man, eternal life, that's incredible. But there's a word that I think gets lost in this announcement of the ministry of Jesus that I think we need to reclaim. And I think that word is whoever. Who, so here's what I want to ask this morning. Here's, our, here, here's a question for us to wrestle with. Who is whoever? Who is whoever? And normally what we do in here is we take one passage and we dive into it. We're going to do something different. I'm going to bounce all around the New Testament today. All throughout the Gospels, I'm just going to tell you about stories of people who were whoever's. Like Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That meant he was, the, he was in charge of other tax collectors. In those days, the Roman government occupied the nation of Israel. They were an occupying power. They were a foreign military force. And you had to pay tax to the Roman government. But in order to do that, in order to collect the tax, Rome employed locals. And they said, hey, you collect tax. Here's how much we want. You collect whatever you want, and you can take whatever's extra. As long as we get what we ask for, we're good. You collect however much you want. We don't care. We just want our cut. You can see how that's potential for corruption, right? So what would happen is these tax collectors, they would go out and they would charge a lot more than the Roman government was charging, and then they would keep the extra. And Zacchaeus is so integrated into this system. He's not just a tax collector. He's a chief. 
tax cut. So how long had, be, had, be, had he been in the system? More than a few years. And, and it's impossible for me to overstate how much he would have been hated. The people in the crowd that Jesus, that Jesus had around him would have liked to have killed him. But then in, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is walking, uh, walking through town and Zacchaeus sees him and he climbs up in a tree. And you're singing this, Zacchaeus, so a wee little man, a wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore tree. The Lord, all right. Climbs up in this tree. Jesus sees him, says, come down. Now, Zacchaeus is, is, is corrupt. He is, he's manipulative. He's sinful. And he's wealthy beyond your imagination. He's got the big house on the hill that everybody envies. In fact, we said poor people were Amha Aretz. Do you want to know why they were poor? Because of people like Zacchaeus. People hated this guy, and he didn't care. He had money. He had popularity. Everybody had to be nice to him. He had people doing his work. He just sat at home, kicked back all day, eating grapes, having servants feed him, women all around him. He had what we might call the good life. A lot of times we think Zacchaeus is this, is this down and out figure. Oh no, not this one. He's got it made. But he was Amharetz. Not only was he, not only was he unclean, he was scum of the earth. And so when Jesus invites him to come down from the tree and says, I'm going to eat at your house today. And then when Jesus says, you know what, Zacchaeus, you and your whole family are saved. Well, no wonder the people that are following Jesus would complain. Because good teachers didn't do that. Good teachers didn't eat with someone so disgusting and someone so vile. They didn't do that. But Zacchaeus is a whoever. And Jesus told us, Whoever believes. Who, who is whoever? You see, the religion of the day said that you had to get clean, then approach God. But Jesus completely reverses it and says, you know what? Approach God and he'll make you clean. Zacchaeus is an Amha Aretz. He is a whoever and he meets Jesus and his whole life changes. There's a woman. There's a woman in Matthew chapter 9 who has this disease of uncontrollable bleeding. We're not going to go into the disease, but, but it was seen, her particular disease was seen as a sign of sexual sin. That she had somehow, God was punishing her because of what she had done. She had to walk around, not only labeled unclean, but carrying the, the stigma of her promiscuity with her all the time. Everybody knew. She was completely broke. She had used all the money she had to try to get healthy, and she couldn't. She was Amha Aretz. She was unclean. But she fights through the crowd, and, and she doesn't want to touch Jesus physically. She doesn't want to touch his physical body because she's afraid she'll make him dirty. So she just reaches out to touch his robe because she thinks, I'm trying not to get noticed, but maybe I can get healed. And do you know how Jesus responds to her? He should have said, get away from me, you unclean woman. You Amha Aretz, what are you doing touching me, making me dirty? But he stops, he looks down, and he calls her daughter. And he heals her. She was Am 
tolerance. Instead of Jesus being infected by her dirtiness, His perfect cleanliness makes her whole. Because nobody was too dirty or too sinful for Jesus. Nobody. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, verses 40-45, we read about a story about a leper. Now, in those days, to be a leper, you know, if tax collectors were the most vile of people in the culture, lepers were the most revolting. They were disgusting. Literally, leprosy is a disease where your skin rots off your flesh. Like you wake up and a finger's gone. Okay, it was just revolting. And if you, if you had leprosy, you were completely removed. From society. The disease was bad enough. I mean, it was horrific. But then the social stigma, you couldn't be around anybody. You had to completely leave home. You had to completely leave town. You were disowned by your family. You had to live on the on the outside of cities and villages. You were not allowed in town. You were never physically touched. Because if anybody touched you, they would be dirty. If you came within a hundred feet of somebody, you had to announce, unclean, I'm unclean. So they wouldn't come near you. Children would throw rocks at you. Adults would spit at you. And everyone would avoid you. You were am ha arrest. And in this story, you can hear this this man's brokenness as he cries out to Jesus because he's doing something completely ludicrous. He's actually trying to approach a clean person and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can hear the years of being beaten down, being the victim of a heartless culture just, just culminating in this desperate attempt. If you're willing, you can make me clean. You can remove this stigma from my life. You know what Jesus does? He does what nobody else would do. He touches the man. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus could do whatever He wants. Jesus could just say, all right, you stay there. You're healed. Don't come any closer. I'm God. Boom. Good. But you see, Jesus likes to prove a point. Jesus likes to prove a point. You don't have to be clean before God will touch you. You don't have to be clean for God to touch you. You don't have to be clean for for God to get His hands on you. You don't have to be completely without fault for God to get involved. And it wasn't just the poor and the outcast and 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 the sick. Whoever's included powerful people. Like the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8. Now, if you were a a Roman centurion, isn't just a soldier; it's a leader of soldiers. Had about a hundred soldiers in his kind of in his unit that he would oversee. This is a leader of soldiers, and they didn't ask for help from Jews. Jews were beneath them. They told Jews what to do. That's why. That's why you hear in the if you know if someone asks you to carry their pack a mile, you take it too. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If you get if you get confiscated from a Roman soldier and he makes you carry his pack for a mile, you say, I'm going to take it too because I'm not beneath you. I'll make the choice of my own. Jesus comes in contact with the centurion. He asks for help for his servant. Jesus is a Jew, man. You don't talk to Gentiles. 
let alone Romans. They're the enemy. Let alone a soldier. He's holding your, he's holding your culture hostage. Let alone a leader of soldiers. He's the problem. This guy represents all that's wrong with Israel. This is what God came to free us from. The people around Jesus would have thought. But he was a whoever. And Jesus said, whoever believes. I'm here for whoever. Whoever. When did the church forget about the whoever's? When did we lose sight that, that you, when did we start thinking you have to be respectable to come to God? When did, we, when did we start thinking that you can sin too much, that you can wander too far, that you can blow it too big for God to touch you? When did, we, when did we start preaching that you have to talk like us and look like us and have your life cleaned up like our lives before you're welcome? When did we, when did we, think that, when did we start thinking that church was a place for people who had it all together? When did it stop being a, a community for the mess-ups and the Amharets and the dirty people of the world? Because that's who Jesus hangs around with. Fortunately, many churches today look more like pharisaical communities than Christian communities. Because we like to hang around clean people, not dirty people. But Jesus was dirty. He was always in contact with people who could contaminate him. Why do we think that we have to have our addictions cured, our doubts answered, and our lives in order before we can come and fall at the feet of Jesus? Why do we think that the chaos of our lives can somehow affect the love of God? Why do we, why, why do we think that, that our doubts can somehow change His purpose? Why do, why do we think that the substances we put in our veins can somehow affect the blood that flows through His? Why? When did we forget about whoever? You know what I'm praying? I'm praying that during this series called The Dirty Jesus, I'm praying that God would revolutionarily remind us of the whoever's. Because I think some of us have forgotten I think some of us have forgotten that we used to be whoever. Before we met Jesus, we were Amharets. We were unclean. We were a whoever. We've gotten so churchified. We start making distinctions to exclude people. Well, some sins are okay, but some sins are just too much. Just too big. Some people can be saved, but some people, they've just gone too far. They are unredeemable. You know, growing up, I was a good kid. I'm not trying to brag, not, not boasting. I was, a, I was a really good kid. I didn't sneak out. I got good grades. I was generally liked. I didn't cause any problems. I went to church. I even, like I said, 16 years ago, I started preaching. I was 17. I ministered in church, preached in church, but I didn't really see my need for Jesus. Can I just be honest? I I thought, I thought, matter of fact, he was kind of lucky to have me on his team. Because I was a good guy. Because once I learned the scoring system, I was good to go. I was, I was set. Never mind that inside of my heart I was lustful and selfish and prideful. Until one night in college. I'd been, I'd been preaching the gospel. And it wasn't until I had been preaching the gospel for a few years that one night, 
watching an HBO movie. You know, if God can talk to you watching an HBO movie, He can talk to anybody. I'm not knocking HBO, I'm just saying, man. I remember watching that movie, and then the movie wasn't even spiritual, but, but God just like localized in my living room. And I remember just feeling His presence there, and He just began to show me how the lust and the pride and the selfishness in my life had, had just taken over how I treated people and, and how, how my heart was just dark. And I was, I was broken. Man, the tears just started flowing out of my eyes. I cried so hard, I like popped blood vessels in my eyes because I was so overwhelmed at my own lostness. He reminded me in that moment of complete awareness of my whoeverness that He died for me. Like, like He didn't just die for the people out there, the sinners, the really bad ones. No, He died for me, and I knew it, but somehow it was like all fresh and new again. There in, in my brokenness, God showed me my whoeverness. Some of us need reminded. Do you need reminded? Who who are you? Let me, let me tell you who you are. You are Zacchaeus. You are the woman with the disease. You are the leper. You are the, the foreign oppressor. You are the uber-religious Pharisee. You are whoever. That's who you are. You're whoever. Others of us in the room, we need to... We're way too in touch with our whoeverness. In fact, we think that God could never do anything in a life like this. We're so convinced that we're so far from God that we're hopeless. But, but look at our message again, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, there's no limitations, no restrictions, no qualifications, no prerequisites, whoever, clean, unclean, dirty, put together, mess up, pretty good, whoever. Jesus, who's perfectly clean, came for whoever. He came for people that won't even acknowledge Him. They're whoever. He's broken. His blood is shed to forgive us and cleanse us. The best of us and the worst of us. The best in us and the worst in us. He cleanses it all. This is our message. We are a church for whoever. So you know what? Let's do this. This series is four weeks long. Um, somebody like sitting close. What's the la what's the first Sunday in October? Totally sixth. It's the last sixth is the last Sunday of the series. Let's be a church for whoever. Let's be a church for whoever. Let October sixth, the last Sunday of this series. Let's fill the place with whoever's. I mean, let's just do it. Let's just announce this message that, that Jesus got dirty for whoever. Your neighbor, your friend, your family member, the stranger on the street, I don't know. Let's just do it. 
It's not, is it, does this have a name or is it like a special day? It is now. <laughs> Come back next week. We'll have a name for it. Man, let's just be a church full of whoever's. Let's just, let's just whoever. Hey, are you a whoever? Well, good. Come with me. Right on. Because he was broken for the violent and the victim. For the single mom with two kids and for the white picket fence family with, with two kids, a dog, and three cars. Whoever. No matter whoever. For the drug dealer and for the addict and for the arrogant do-gooder. Whoever. He came for whoever. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, here we are. A room full of a bunch of whoever's. And there are some of us in the room, God, that we need to be reminded that we are whoever. And then there are others of us in the room that we need. We know that we're whoever. And we need to be reminded that you came for us, that we're not too far gone. You know, while you're sitting there this morning, I just want to ask you a question. This is a real simple question. You say, Pastor Josh, I am whoever. That's me. I know it. And I'm here today and man, it, God's talking to me. I'm, I'm ready to give my life to Him. I'm ready to surrender it all. Like Zacchaeus, I'm ready to be saved. Like the leper, I'm ready to be healed. I'm ready to be in His family. Listen, if God is moving upon you, if He's... If you feel your heart beating a little faster and you feel, you know, your stomach's kind of turning, that's, trust me, that's, that's God working in your life. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Just surrender. Just surrender to it. There's no prerequisite that you have to meet. You don't have to get clean for Him to talk to you. He's already talking to you, friend. Don't think that you got to leave here and get some things in line this week. Come back next week and you'll accept Him. You don't have to do it. It's not part of the requirement. It's whoever believes. Believe that He came for you. Believe that He died for you. And you'll have eternal life. If that's you, I just want you to pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe. You died for me. So here I am, dirty, <laughs> unclean. Would you make me clean? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you make me new today? And it's that simple. If you prayed that prayer, man, Jesus just miraculously right now completely changed your life. Forgived your sin, washed it away. You got a new start today. Brand new beginning. You walking out of this place clean. Because Jesus got dirty for you. And God touched you. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray one more time. Then we're going to move to the next portion of our service. If that was you, if you just prayed that prayer, take that communication card. 
on the back of it, there's a little box that says, send me info about being a, a new believer. Check that box, put your name on it, and drop it at the VIP area when you leave today. You don't have to say anything, just hand it, walk away. You're going to tell us, and by telling us, you're going to be publicly declaring that Jesus just saved your life. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this room, and we celebrate what we're about to do outside. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. You are awesome. Remind us of who we are, that we are whoever, and let's, God, fill this place with a bunch of whoever's. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.